Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Well, if you have not met me, uh, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach. Uh, every year older, I get closer and closer to calling myself senior pastor, but not yet. Um, so welcome. I'm so glad that you guys are here um, for this morning. And I'm going to say a phrase, and uh, we, we kind of bunted on it a second ago. Um, he has risen. He has risen indeed. Yes, he has. Um, my message today is called On the Third Day. And my, my one little intro before we get into it, and I have a lot to cover, so I don't even have a long intro, is a lot can change in three days. A lot. I don't know if you've known periods of your life where you've you know, experienced a great amount of loss and then had something that just ultimately changed what was going on in your life. And today we're going to open up the last three days of the life of Jesus. So before we get into the word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is by your grace and your mercy that we today speak about your son. And Lord, I don't pray um, just for words of motivation. Lord, I pray for words of redemption, uh, words of rebirth. Lord, I pray that your word would spark in our lives the idea of living in the resurrection. Help us choose the day that we will live in. And Lord, give us faith when things seem out of control and out of our reach, that, Lord, you can bring redemption to anything. So, Lord, give us hope this morning as we open your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as you follow the life of Jesus, um, he lived 33 years on this world, spent three years in ministry, and, and we're talking about the very end of that. So, for three years... He has ministered, he has performed miracles, he has raised the dead, he has healed lepers, he has talked about the forgiveness of sin, which was something that wasn't his right, at least from the Pharisees' perspective, um, but we, we see today what, how he takes his right to speak these things by who he actually is. I talked about this a little bit last week, but one week before, he was welcomed into Israel, Jerusalem, people were crying out. Um, Matthew twenty-one nineteen says, Hosanna um, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Hosanna literally means save us, we pray. And son of David is a reference to the Messiah. So they were expecting the Messiah to come in, but they wanted something far different from their Messiah. Far different than what Jesus intended to do on the cross. They were looking for someone to, with a hand of power, take back rule of Jerusalem. They weren't looking for someone to set them free from the one thing that destroys every single one of us, which is sin. And so what I want to do over my time here with you today is talk about three days. And at the end of this, I want to encourage you to live in one of those three days. You can guess what that third day is going to be on the third day. The first day we're going to talk about is this idea of a hope-crushed 
Friday. And if you are a disciple of Jesus that have given your life for three years, you've left everything, you've left your businesses, you've left your family, you have followed Jesus through thick and thin. You, like everyone else, is waiting for the redemption of Israel, not from sin, but the redemption of Israel from the hand of power. They were looking for another King David to come rule and reign, and all of their hopes were dashed. Think about how they felt Jesus had a conversation with his disciples telling them over and over again that he was going to go, that he was going to die, that he was going to be resurrected. And they were completely confused by it, which we'll tell by what we go through today. One of them he even had an encounter with, uh, Peter. Jesus literally tells them that you're all going to deny me, you're all going to run away. And Peter says, if I have to die, I'll be with you. What does he do? It's my favorite thing. He pulls out a sword because he was ready to die for Jesus. Uh, And whether it was God's um, intervention or his bad swordsmanship, I do not know. Uh, But he swung and took off an ear. And Jesus calmly picked up that ear and put it back on his head and told him to stop. That if you're going to live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And, And Peter ran away. And you know what he did? He did exactly what God told him he was to do, exactly what Jesus said. He denied him three times. And I love it. I believe it's in Luke specifically where that third time um, when he denied him, they caught eyes. He saw Jesus being abused, and he was broken. I mean, you want to talk about hope completely drained away. See, Friday was a long day for Jesus. It started with no sleep and lots of prayer. And for those that have been to prayer meetings, um, all of the disciples of Jesus took a nap. They're the most important. They, they had no clue what was coming. Jesus did. He, he sweated blood. He prayed. He asked the Father if this could happen any other way. And the disciples just took naps. In the middle of the night, he was arrested in the garden. And he was taken to a house of the high priest. He witnessed the denial of Peter. In the morning, he was taken before the elders of the people, taken later before Pilate and found of no fault. His wife even had dreams and said, leave this innocent man alone. There is a crazy, crazy... um, uh, Pilate literally takes a bowl of water and washes his hands in front of the people and said, his blood is not on me. And they say, put it on us. Pilate wanted to... Free Jesus. There's another comment in there that I loved. I love when Pilate looks over at Jesus and says, Don't you know the authority that I have? Don't you know the power that I have that I could set you free? And Jesus just said, Hey, you have no no power. Hear this. You have no power other than what the Father gives you. And so Pilate, trying to free Jesus, sends him to Herod. Herod just wants to show. He wants the magician to come and do things in front of him. And of course, Jesus wouldn't do any of this. So Herod sends him back. Pilate tries to release him. He flogs him, tortures him, hoping that that would appease the crowd. But they asked for the murderer to be released. There were two people that got a little measure of hope, a little glimpse of what we'll see on Sunday. One of them was named Barabbas, and the other one was the thief on the cross. Barabbas is freed, let go. They send him off to be crucified. He carries his own cross up to Golgotha. He was nailed to the cross and he hung there for six hours 
until he died. And I don't have time, which I actually talked about it uh, about five or six weeks ago. All the things that happened, the earthquake, the, the, um, the temple curtain ripped, the dead coming out of the grave and proclaiming the goodness of God. You know what's crazy about all those things? Those things didn't change Saturday for the disciples. The darkness, the torn, which for those that don't know what that is, in the, in the temple of the Lord there's this holy of holies, and in the holy of holies there was a separation from what was or where the presence of God was, and people couldn't just enter into that. It had to be separated. Well, that from top to bottom was ripped, which was opened and our permission to enter into the holiness of God because of Jesus. They took him down from the cross. They put him in a tomb. And they rolled the stone over it and they left. The crowd wasn't waiting outside the tomb. Hear this. Hear this. The crowd wasn't waiting outside the tomb. See, we think in our minds we would be out there going like we're getting ready. Like we're going to be there when the stone is rolled away. We're going to be there when, um, when Jesus walks out of the tomb. No one was there. So Saturday, I call Saturday doubt-filled Saturday. On Friday, the greatest man who had ever lived died. The disciples were confused. This was supposed to be the week of triumph. Jesus was supposed to change everything. The disciples knew that he was the Son of God, yet after the devastation of Friday, the disciples found themselves doubting. Their hope were dashed, along with their dreams, as their leader died. Then came Saturday. Saturday was the day of doubt. I think it's important to understand Saturday because I believe it has much a part of our journey as a part of theirs. Every one of us has been in, has lived or is living in one of these three days. We're living in Hope Dash Friday or we're living in Doubt Saturday. See, to understand Saturday, it's best to look at Sunday. See, Sunday's response shows Saturday's experience. The feelings of the disciples felt on Sunday did not spring on Sunday, but rather were built over the course of Saturday. The day of doubt. Mark 16, 11 and Luke 24, 11 share what happened to the disciples over the course of Saturday. The attitude that spilled over to Sunday. They did not believe. Mark 16, 11. Luke um, 24 shares that, the, <clears throat> that this phrase was also, uh, was as well, but added the explanation because it seemed to them like nonsense. Some versions say idle words or idle talk to convey the idea that it sounded ridiculous to them. See, Sunday morning, you have to understand, they weren't out there waiting for Jesus to come out of the tomb. They were wrestling with doubt, even on Sunday morning, which we're going to be in John 20. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to, I'm going to do 29 verses a lot. But I think if we want to appreciate Sunday, we have to understand what it took for hope to come back to the disciples. So day three is hope reborn. So John 20, starting in verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. 
She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. I, I, I'm going to talk. I'm going to make fun of John a little bit. So John, the author of this gospel, is the guy who wrote this. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, it's a bad day when you have to write yourself into the story as the one whom Jesus loved. I don't know if you have children that are like that with you. Like I'm your favorite, right? They, if they write the story, they'll be saying, "Hey, I'm Dad's favorite." So in verse two, um, so <clears throat> sorry. Simon Peter and the other disciples of whom Jesus loved, and he said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. (laughs) Do you see what was just said? They weren't expected. They weren't like, Jesus is raised. He has come alive, just like he said. They're like, someone has stolen him. And this continues. In verse 3 it says, So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, And they were going towards the tomb, and both were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Come on, John. (laughs) Like, maybe he did, or maybe he didn't. I don't know. I'm not very fast, so, like, I would definitely be with Peter going, yeah, you show off. Like, why are you running so fast? But John outran him and recorded it in his gospel. So, (laughs) verse 5. And he stopped to look in, John. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, and he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had to reach the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So they run all the way there. They walk in. See, if his body was stolen, okay, if his body was stolen, they wouldn't go, okay, guys, let's unwrap him. Let's leave his linens here. They would take him. In another one of the Gospels, this tomb is guarded by a lot of soldiers that are getting paid to guard the tomb, and it's... Their, their payment, if they fail, is death. So they aren't going to be like, yeah, just go and take your time, unwrap him. Uh, you know, that's the thought. If he was stolen, why are the linens there? So John is beginning to believe. Beginning. But they went back to their homes. They, they, they didn't go back to celebrate. They didn't start a bonfire out front and begin the celebration. They went back to their homes. Verse 11. And Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. Uh, And as she wept, she stopped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? The angels of the Lord and everyone else that had knowledge understood what has happened. But she's sad. And she said to them, they have, t- this, she's saying this to the angels of the Lord, sitting in his tomb, like, like they couldn't protect someone from stealing Jesus' body. They have taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. This is two different times. Also on the road to Emmaus, he comes to two disciples, and he disguises himself. 
How he did that, I do not know. I don't think he put on a mask and had like glasses like Superman. And they're like, oh, Clark Kent is looking for Superman. But she did not notice him. And, and here's what I wrote. Because she wasn't looking for Jesus. She wasn't looking for Jesus. She wasn't looking around like, where's he at? He has raised. She still thinks he's been stolen. Verse 15. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? <laughs> Supposing him to be a gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And then Jesus said, Mary. When Jesus spoke her name, everything changed. And this is, this is huge. And I've said this a lot. So if you've been around Reach, you've heard this already, but maybe you've not heard this. If the Bible was written to deceive people, they would have excluded this. They would not have came to the shepherds because the shepherds weren't trustworthy people. They were not even allowed to go into the temple. They would have not, Jesus would not have made his first appearance to a woman. And I don't mean to like downplay all the women in the room, but in this culture, women, they weren't allowed to even testify. They, they, their word meant nothing to the testimony of what's going on. And the first one that he appeared to was a woman. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanoni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. And Luke 24:11 which we talked about just a second ago it says but these words seem like idle like an idle tale and they did not believe them so mary has this encounter after peter and john went back to their home and she runs back to do what the lord had told her to do and tell the disciples he is risen and they thought it was foolish talk they're they're like this is they weren't expecting that because Saturday crushed them. And I think a lot of us have missed our opportunity with Jesus at times because of the doubt in the Saturdays of our life that if just hope has been washed out of us and we don't see what God is capable of doing. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors had been locked before the disciples were uh, um, the doors were locked. The disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. So they're hiding. They're still terrified that they're, this is the crowd that's like, Lord, we'll die with you after he is dead on the cross, laid in the tomb, has resurrected from the tomb. They are now hiding in a locked room out of fear. And Jesus appears and says, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then disciples were glad that they had saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, hear this, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, 
they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I did a little research on this because, you know, that's a, let's just say a very confusing thing. To so be like, oh, you're not forgiven. You're not forgiven. Don't like you. You're not forgiven. Forgiveness withheld. Forgiveness granted. I believe, and uh, most commentaries look at this, you know, it is not ours to give or deny forgiveness, but it is our right, just like he said right before this. He said, so I am sending you. What I believe this is specifically talking about is your commissioning to go speak the word of the Lord, which, which is what gives forgiveness or, or takes away for you. Like if you deny Jesus, if the gospel is preached and you say, I ain't having none of that, then you, forgiveness is being withheld from you. It is not us saying, oh, you know, I get to do this. It is us going and sharing the gospel. Verse 24, I love Thomas, the doubter. We make fun of him, but we have all been that guy. We've all been that guy. No, 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 unless I see it. Verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, and (laughs) I love the defiance, like, I don't know about you, but like when I read the Bible, like I put attitude in it, which may or may not be there. But he was like, unless I see the hands, um, unless I see in the hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of those nails and place my hand into his side, which is gross. Okay, like, okay, oh, man, he did get stabbed. Yes, you were crucified. Unless I place my finger in the nails Place my hands on his side. I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked still. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand here and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. I'm sure, like Peter, broken and in tears for his disbelief. And Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Everyone in this room that has made a decision for Jesus, that's what he's talking about. Because we've believed by not seeing. And this was Thomas who knew and saw the miracles of God. He saw the resurrection. He saw things that we would love to see in our time. And he doubted. He was there after he heard Jesus talk about being resurrected. He was there saying, unless I see this. And I love, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago with doubt or disbelief. I love that Jesus isn't afraid of it. Because some of us are afraid of it and afraid that God will be aware of our disbelief at times and he'd be angry with us. But look what he did to Thomas. He was in the right place and when Jesus showed up, something changed. So what does the resurrection mean? The resurrection proved that Jesus was divine. The fact that Jesus died on the cross does not prove itself that he is God. Jesus proved his deity 
by fulfilling the prophecies of his death and by returning from the grave. The Bible declares that he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 1.4. The resurrection proved Christ's power to forgive sin. The Bible asserts if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. The truth of the matter is this should be the most celebrated time of the Christian calendar. Because if this didn't happen, if we're, if we're just banking on a good teacher and there was not a resurrection, we are to be considered fools. Everything in our faith hinges on this, period. By raising from the dead, Jesus proved his authority and power to break the bonds of sin and to assure forgiveness and eternal life for all those who accept his gift of salvation. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his words, you have been healed. Wounds. Wounds. By his wounds. The resurrection revealed Christ's power over death. The Bible records in uh, Romans 6, 9, it says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer holds dominion over him. The resurrection secured our victory over death as well. Ephesians 2, 6, it says, Lifted us up from the grave into glory along with Christ where we sit with him in the heavenly realms. Today, we have an opportunity to experience much more than life itself. See, we, we can, and here, here's the problem with most of what happens in our life. We still, even as, believer, get, even as believers, get to choose what day we're going to live in. Because we can declare that Jesus is our salvation. We can declare that Jesus is our righteousness. We can declare what he's done for us. But we are called to live a resurrected life. See, if our hope is placed on anything other than the cross, if our hope is placed in our future, in our bank account, in our relationships, if our hope is placed on things that can be taken away, can be lost, if our hope is even put in our health and our well-being, it can be taken away. Some in this room right now, I, I, I know, uh, are struggling with things that they're out of their control, health concerns, relational concerns that are out of their control, and hope can be just washed away in a second. See, we don't live for things that are temporary. It's usually what happens to our life is we, we set our minds on the now. And our lives aren't meant as believers to be set on the temporary. These are a vapor. These are short and momentary. These, these things don't last, even our pain and suffering. Our hope is that one day we will spend eternity... Not playing with harps on clouds in our little diapers. 
But Jesus will establish a new heaven and a new earth. We will rest in his kingdom. And there will be no sin. There will be no pain. There will be no death forever. This is what we hope for. The resurrection gives us. He has shown that he has power over death. And he says, if it wasn't true, I wouldn't go and prepare a place for you. And for all those thinking in this room that Jesus wouldn't do this for me, like, why would he? Why would he? He knows me thoroughly, and why would he? Just think about the thief on the cross. What did he have to offer God? Did he get baptized? Nope. Did he do any good works? He just believed. And I know that if he got to come down that cross, not as a dead man, but a live man, I believe his life would be changed. It would be different. He would not be the thief that, that ended him up on the cross. His life would be different. And what, what did Jesus say to this person that has nothing to offer him, which I just want you to hear. I want you to hear no one in this room with all of your righteous works, has anything to offer God that entices him to call you instead of someone else. Our greatest works of righteousness are but a polluted garment. Your greatest deeds of goodness are nothing. He just wants you to believe and trust in him completely because if you trust in you, you'll be the elder brother that's sitting outside of the celebration, outside of the party, mad at God that he's doing something that you don't like. I wrote this on the, uh, the side of that Hope Crushed Friday. When your eyes are on things that aren't of his kingdom, it's easy for hope to get squashed. Our world is going crazy. Turn on the news, get on Twitter, get on Instagram... Get on TikTok, get on Facebook. I don't recommend any of those. So when I say get on, I really mean get on to get off of them, um, to shut them down. But if you get on there, you realize that our world is going crazy. Uh, and it, it is my belief and understanding that our world will get even more crazy. And our hope cannot be on our world not being crazy. Our hope has to be on the resurrection. Because if he can raise Jesus from the dead, proving himself to be exactly who he said he was, a member of the Trinity. He's calling us into that kingdom. See, three days changed a lot. What day will you choose to live in? Hope crushed Friday, doubt filled Saturday, or resurrection Sunday? It is your choice what you get to do. I'm going to call our worship team back up. Romans 10.9 says this. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with your mouth one confesses and is saved. Jesus does not force people. He does not twist your arm. He wants you to want him. He wants you to celebrate in what he has done for you. And 
There's no more appropriate. I hope no one's set on this. If you're new to our church, I'm sorry that we put the communion cup on our, your seat, but we don't have these little fancy things that you can hang them in. Um, in this cup, there is uh, a bread on top. You can peel the one piece away. Be careful that you don't take the second one and spill the juice all over yourself. And I, I thought it was very important that we do communion today. And if you've not done communion, if you're gluten-free, sorry, if you're gluten-free and didn't grab one and want one, uh, Miss Rebecca over here, so just raise your hand if you're gluten-free because what you have in your hand that was on your seat is not gluten-free. If you want one, Miss Rebecca will bring you one. Raise your hand. See, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, and this was before they knew what was going on, they had no clue what he was doing. They didn't understand scripture. They didn't understand what was going on. He took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body that has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he passed the wine around and poured it out and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so if you've not taken communion ever with reach, uh, all are welcome if you are a child of God. If, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I would say don't, because <laughs> that's what the Bible says. The beauty of this moment that we have right now, you can change that in a second. The thief on the cross did, and he enjoyed Jesus in paradise that day. His suffering ended. And not that our suffering will end forever, but our suffering that has no hope will end or could end today. And so as we take communion together, this is the reminder that it is not your work. No one in this room has earned or deserves the love and forgiveness of God. That's why he had to send his son when Jesus was in the garden saying, Father, if there's another way... Do it. But you know what he said? He said, not my will, but yours. I'm so grateful that Jesus went to the lengths that he did. Because if he would have just set up an earthly kingdom, it would have meant nothing for us. We would be dead in our sins because almost every one of us in this room are Gentiles outside of God's grace in the time that Jesus was born. But Jesus didn't want a people. He wanted all And the beauty of it is this morning as we take communion, the thing that makes us family isn't who we were, and I have family here, isn't who you were born into, isn't the family that you were adopted into, it is the family of Christ. For all those taking communion today, you are our family. We will celebrate with you for eternity. And Jesus wants to remind you this morning that it was not your work, it was not your effort, it was his. And he wants to continue to remind you. Because if that thought pollutes your mind, it will ruin you. We become horrible people when we believe we can do something that others have not done. But when we're served by the grace of God over and over again, that it is by his grace and his mercy that we have feet to stand on. It is by his grace and his mercy that we can enter into his presence. And so if you've been taking communion for a week or 30 or 50 years, be reminded that his grace and mercy is yours because of this. The righteousness that you are now seen wearing is because of him. 
So cast all others aside. Cast all personal righteousness to the ground and receive his. And if you don't know Jesus, but you want to, all you have to do, and let me make this very clear. Salvation is not a prayer prayed. Salvation is a life surrender. And it starts with that journey, with a prayer, just like Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, declaring that his death paid the penalty for your sin, that's where salvation comes from. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to go back into worship. When you're ready, take communion. Let this be a celebration of what God has done. Let this be us as a family declaring that Jesus is still in his throne. We do not serve the greater good of even a nation. We serve the greater good of the kingdom come of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, it is by your grace and mercy that we receive this gift of resurrection power. Lord, help us right now cast off the doubt. Help us receive a hope reborn by your cross. Lord, you know what's needed in this room. You know where the struggle is. You you know where the anger and the frustration is. You know where the wrestling is happening. And Lord, I pray that you meet those now. And Lord, I, I pray when communion is taken in all of us, Lord, that you would fill us again. Lord, let us be like Acts 4 when the disciples are gathered again, that they were filled afresh. Let us be a people that are constantly saying, God, we need you. We need your power so we can speak boldly of your name. But it starts with believing in this, that you are no longer in a tomb. There's salvation in no other name, and you are the way, the truth, and the life. We declare that. And we seal that today as we take communion together, declaring that over and over and over again. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy, and thank you for the life that you offer all of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.